You're listening to the AfterBuzz TV Network. Now the largest new media platform on the web and your number one source for after-show entertainment. From the AfterBuzz studios in Los Angeles, California, presented by Maria Menounos and streaming live thanks to Akamai Technologies, this is AfterBuzz TV's Mad Men After Show. We'll break down tonight's episode and get you all the latest news and gossip. And now, another post-game wrap-up show for your favorite TV show. It's AfterBuzz TV's Mad Men After Show. Hey there, Mad Men fans. You know what time it is. You're here at AfterBuzz TV. We are talking about Season 7, Episode 4 on the Mad Men After Show. It is called The Monolith. I'm Matt Lieberman. Joining me as always, fantastic panel. Joe Braswell's here. Hello. Joe Sanfilippo's here. Nice to be here with you guys. Sterling Cates is here. Hey, hey. And uh, Stephen Lemieux, our engineer on the one and twos. Thank you, Steve. Hey, hey, Yeah. Um, so, guys, I, I don't know where to start with how great season seven has been. I, I personally believe. What I what I love so much about it is since there, there will be no more, we're officially, we're in the end run of the show, every choice feels more deliberate. Sure. And uh, it, it makes me want to break down each episode that much further. And I really, really enjoyed this episode, I was nervous for a second that we were going to head back into very negative Don Draper territory. But, uh, you know, by the end of it, I feel like we've kind of righted the ship. Yeah. There's a lot of interesting things going on, and we're also kind of drawing lines for potentially a war to come over the fate of Sterling Cooper and partners. How do you all feel? There's a lot of uh, there's a lot of story here in four episodes. Oh, I mean, yeah. A lot of story. A lot of, a, lot, a lot of sort of, you know, we talked about what, we, what we've learned over the seasons. We can learn all these people individually. We can learn them at, at, in the workplace to see it all sort of be tied up in this last season. And we've already, what we've already done, what Matthew Weiner has already done these four episodes, just to agree with you, mm-hmm. is pretty phenomenal. Yeah. You know, and, just, and then not only, you know, sort of um, letting know, letting us know where these characters are, but also asking questions of where they're going and what's happening right in the right very second. I love it. I love, you know, we talked about this last season. Mad Men is best as a character study as well, but it's really amazing workplace drama. Mm-hmm. It's an amazing workplace drama. So to see what when they get to the office and they're doing their thing in the office, I could watch that all day long. The yeah. inner workings of how that office works, the clients, the ins and outs, the pitches. And also, I you love know, it. the whole series is about change and how uh, how things uh, develop and how they change, and then also how people resist. That change, and I feel like that theme was very prevalent in tonight's in uh, last night's episode. We're going to talk about that a lot. Sterling, Joe, any other you know? Basic well, I, well, you know, it was, I was talking to Kevin Undergar outside, and we were just discussing the episode. He wants to stick his head in because he's like, he's like, That's I it. watched it, and I just love it so much. You should. And I hope he does. I hope he does too. Uh, and and it's just it is it is interesting to kind of be looking like you said like this looking down the end of the barrel. This is it. These are the last. Mm-hmm. We got fourteen we got all three in, left. I can't and one. which is, gives us a total of ten, yeah. and that's all we have left. And you, like you said, every choice is so deliberate. It's all precious. It almost feels like I don't know if, if you've never acted in anything, but when you act in a show and it has a finite run, you've got say you've got ten weeks, fifteen weeks, even if you get a long one, you get thirty weeks, whatever mm-hmm. it is. You you do have that last week of shows. Each one is precious, and you have each moment you're like feeling it, and that's what this is feeling like to me. And I and it doesn't disappoint. And I know there were a lot of reviews that came out at the beginning of the season that were saying, "Oh, you know, it's not as good. It's still a great show, but it's not as mm-hmm. good as it was." And I I just think that just it, it simply isn't true. Yeah. And and we were talking about like, is there going to be anything to touch this again? Is there going to be anything at this level? And I I don't I don't see that there is. High praise for four episodes in. Yeah. Right. So I think like this episode might been might be my favorite one so mm-hmm. far this season. Um, but yeah. So yeah. I'm curious to see what goes what All right. Well, before we get into it, I just want to talk about something really, really quickly. Now, uh, those of you who listen to AfterBuzz TV shows, you are aware of Maria Menounos and Kevin Undergaro, who founded the network, who run the network. We love them dearly. They've given us all a home to discuss our favorite TV programs, and they've given you all fantastic podcasts. And we always talk about uh, iTunes as a great way to support the network. Another great way to support the network is to watch their reality show on Oxygen Tuesdays at 10 p.m. It's called Chasing Maria Menounos. It's a really gripping show. I don't know if, if any of you have seen it, but I'm not a huge reality guy. I'm, I don't. I, I normally I watch a lot of dramas. I watch a lot of comedies. I don't really, you know, watch a lot of unscripted television. But their show really, really has something that I feel like a lot of uh, docu series don't. It's very intimate. It feels very raw. 
And uh, Maria is just a fantastic and fascinating individual. I love watching the show, and you should too. It legitimately helps everybody here if you watch the show. We wanted to get a second season. So watch it on Oxygen Tuesdays at 10 p.m., or you can download it on iTunes or Amazon. Okay, so let's get into it. We open on uh, on PDP. It's been it's been a minute. We haven't seen him in a couple weeks. Yeah. Uh, and he and Bonnie, the real estate agent, are out to dinner, and they're choosing potential vacation destinations. I love this couple. I love it. All yeah. of which we I, most of us who've been here in Los Angeles, we've been to all of them. It's so nice. Mm-hmm. Catalina, Palm Springs. What was the other sure. one? Uh, Yosemite. Could go Yosemite. to Yosemite. Beautiful. Beautiful. Why yeah. wouldn't you? Why would you be crazy not to? Yeah. I like Pete a lot more now than I used to. I don't know why. I just I think well, it might be the California. Such an I know. That's right. the first thing. Well, <laughs> he might be the California sunshine. Right. Well, he's happier. He's yeah. happier, and for, and and I think that it honestly it extends to every aspect of his life. You know, he was facing this this uh, potential career setback with having to go through Bob Benson for the uh, for the Chevy dealers. And he's now, still cursing Bob Benson in this episode. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> but he's finally, you know, taking a nice big piece for himself. Yeah. And he's got a partner who not only understands what he does, but is turned on by it. Hell yeah. yeah. I mean, in no disrespect to, you know, my girl Allison Brie, who I love. Love her. Love her. But, you know, Bonnie is pretty great. Yeah. And she's, like, yeah. she's the right person for Pete. He's, he's that kind of career-driven guy who, you know, the home life is never really going to matter to him. It's never going to be as exciting as the work. And and I feel like Bonnie is the same way, where the work is what, what turns her on, what gets her out of bed in the morning, and he is excited by that. It's great to see him happy. Uh, but they're, they're kind of interrupted at dinner by an old work pal, of uh, of Pete's uh, George, who used to work for Vicks back yeah. when uh, when Pete was running it for Sterling Cooper, and uh, it turns out George is now working for Burger Chef. Burger Chef is a real thing. I don't know if you guys knew that. I, I was that not it? aware until I saw this episode. Burger Chef was eventually bought out by uh, by uh, uh, Hardee's, which is which is Carl's Jr. Yeah. So uh, so Burger Chef, most of them were converted to Hardee's, or or uh, or there's another there was another brand that they became, and then. Um, uh, at one point, there were there were a thousand fifty stores, and they were second only to McDonald's. Wow! Oh, wow! Yeah. How the mighty have Fun fallen! Facts. So it was a big, big, big deal to get that. Sure, absolutely. But it, but they weren't even looking at it as such. They were still sort of like you know dismissing it as as like. I mean, so half the company were like, you know, yes, this is a huge deal. Understand? Well, it's three million a year in billing, but I, right. I didn't appreciate. I'm giving context for those of us. Right. Look, yeah. It seemed like a made up name because yeah, I, I most of us had never up. heard of it. So well, I don't think that. The, I, I feel like they can't make up. Uh, obviously, and, and that and that's why I looked it up, and I went, oh, okay, that yeah. makes sense. Uh, speaking of also just picking out references, we have uh, Harry and Lloyd discussing a TV show that was canceled after 11 minutes later on in the episode, and that show is actually called uh, Turn On. Which uh, is uh, apparently the sketch show where the sketches were were chosen by a computer, and it was a show that was so bad that it was canceled <laughs> halfway through its original airing, Eleven which is a, I think a world record. Yes, yeah. Um, so in any case, Pete's jazzed about this new business, and it sets off kind of a small firestorm within Sterling Cooper and Partners. He has this conference call uh, with Ted and with the New York office. Which, you know, Don kind of sees from afar. He, he's, you know, visually seeing how irrelevant he is compared to mm-hmm. the other partners. And uh, everyone in the room, except for Roger, wants Peggy on the account. And uh, Pete, interestingly enough, is the guy who's like, he's pushing, he's pushing for Don. He wants the best possible copywriter right. on his business. And he re- he's the first person to recognize it's kind of crazy to have someone like Don Draper on staff and to not use him. Do nothing with him. Yeah. Um, and, you know, Roger sticks, sticks up for him. And then Cutler accepts it. He's like, you know, what do you think, Lou? Lou, the toady, agrees with everybody, just trying not to make waves. And then, you know, as soon as everyone leaves the room, what Lou's, the hell? Lou's all pissed off. Yeah. Like, you're setting me up, man. But yeah. Jim, I love Jim in that scene. He's like, exactly. basically, how do we lose? Lou, how do we lose, man? Yeah. Either he does a great job and we make lots of money, or he tanks and we let him go because that's part of the agreement. This is the workplace yeah. stuff. Tell me how we lose. This is the workplace stuff that I love, I love so much. That mm-hmm. that scene tells you everything you need to know about Lou and his sort of the way he handles office politics in the partner meeting. And the same the with next Cutler. scene. The yeah, next in, scene in, in when the, he yeah. when he tells Peggy what well, the yeah, plan that is. Too. That's when but, you but, see but, Lou. But, but also even here is where you see Lou is is when you know he's in the partner's meeting. He's like, of course, yes, right. I'll play ball. And then he's like, hold on. And he's done this like the third time we've seen him do that move. Mm-hmm. Where he's like, it's all good. 
get it, get someone on the phone. You know? Oh yeah, <laughs> absolutely. That's just, he'll keep the company line right until, but he's got his cronies. That's that crony move. Like mm-hmm. you know, I'd rather sell newspapers in the street, or you know, I don't care if he's in bed with Joey Heatherton or whatever it is. He's exactly. got something to say. So there's that, and then of course Cutler. You see the way he does business, mm-hmm. and then of course, as you like, like you said, we see the way he he way Lou handles it, handles it the Lou way, which is the promotion. Yeah. That is a master. I don't know if we're there yet, but that is we're, a master. We're not. Stroke. I want to jump okay. back to uh, to Don entering the office, and we're going to take everything chronologically yes. from there. So Love we it. we uh, we get Don coming into the office. He's in the elevator, and he comes in, and the whole office. I is thought it was just a dream empty. sequence. I thought it was a dream sequence yeah. too. We all did, I'm sure. Uh, and you know, just reeking of death and of apocalypse, of of something terrible on the horizon. And uh, instead, or potentially, you know, not uh, potentially, it is apocalyptic. Uh, a computer is finally being installed at Sterling Cooper and Partners in place of the Creative Lounge. I love, I love the line that that Harry has. Uh, Harry, I think Harry says it's not a metaphor. Yeah, uh, it, he's or, like, no, it's not. No, it's quite literal. Yeah, but it is. It's such a. It's. It, but of course, it's a metaphor, and it's so great because the whole episode you have all this new construction, all this new stuff Don has to deal with, and you have the computer essentially shoving out creative. So you're not going to be the prettiest girl in the room anymore, Don. Yep. And it's it's so much metaphor going on, and the closed doors. Anyway. I and just, the, you know, even just the fact that Don didn't know that he had to be there for an announcement. Yeah, he's not important enough to even rate the. Listen, yeah. the adults made a decision. Should we tell Don? Does it really matter? Mm-hmm. Does it really matter at if all? If he's there on time, he'll be fine. Yeah, perfect. It, 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 again, it is a sort of metaphor. I mean, I, we all thought it was a dream sequence, but the, a guy who once once was the epicenter of this entire office walking in and then you know to so true complete right. emptiness. Right? And it's like we're all like, wow. Is that moment of him looking at everything and looking? around like where is everyone the fact that everything is happening upstairs without him yeah is what made it seem like a dream sequence like wow like i'm don draper and everyone is upstairs and i have no idea what's going on mm-hmm. and so that was kind of a weird sort of just you know weird, interesting sort of way to introduce john back into the office place like this place isn't about me anymore yes like, another literally. another really telling moment in, in my opinion was uh when peggy is looking for don later uh, later on the episode to to tell him about uh, Burger Chef and the fact that she was in charge and she's like is he in there and uh, his secretary says he never, he never leaves. leaves he's clinging to he's this desk in. he's clinging to this desk with everything he has because he can't he doesn't want to be ripped from the company again it, he seems like he's in danger of that every five seconds and the, when he said when he said okay in the last episode to mm-hmm. come back I was hoping that he had some sort of plan behind that like he had some sort of strategy for his right. comeback, but this whole episode, I was like, "Wow, he really doesn't have a plan at all." Yeah, it seems like. Well, it, when he, when he came back, when he said, "Okay," I felt like, "Okay, this is him saying I'm ready to do the work mm-hmm. to get the job that I want back. I'm accepting these conditions." And instead, Bert calls him on it later in the episode. And That's a rough scene. I know, and we're gonna we're gonna get into that. I just I want to go back uh, to as we leave this computer announcement. Peggy's, you know, is is talking about Lou. She says it's Lou's fault. He didn't even fight for the creative lounge. Right, because he even you know, know, he doesn't know where how to do it. Doesn't know what it is. Yeah. Exactly. He right. overhears it. So when he calls her into her into his office, she has every right to be nervous. You right. know, he's generally a dick, even when she's doing good work. Yeah. And now he's being cryptic. He's looking out the window. What am I to expect? And then he offers her. A, uh, a raise, a hundred dollars a week raise. That's a big time raise. It's right. a big time raise. Back in the day, you know, it's, it's still pretty nice. Yeah, yeah. I think he just wants to distract her with the money so that he can. He's setting her and Don up together, hopefully, hoping that they'll fail. Right, is what I'm thinking. And so, well, I mean, we get into that bit with Joan later, where she's like, you know, uh, honestly, I don't know whether this will make you feel better or not, but they probably didn't even think about that at all. Right. Yeah. <laughs> it was just. It was. He was paying her off for accepting the poison pill that was Don has to be on the team. Right. But he's not going to be the one who has to deal with it, and he's not going to be the one who has to tell Don about it or assert his position in any way. He's going to use the money to let her take care of it. The way he did that whole thing was very, I felt was also very choreographed on, on, on Lou's part. Like mm-hmm. the whole standing up and looking out the window and sort of, like I felt like that was something that he had planned, like how this was going to go. And mm-hmm. um, and you're right, I think that he didn't, I don't think he thought about it as, you know, as super calculated as that. I think he thought of like, I'm gonna, you know, pay her off for having to deal with Don. And you know what, these creatives 
let them all, they're all the same. Let them go do their thing together. Like, right. you know, to in his mind, it's like, you know, creative's dumb, and Don's going to be creative, and she's going to be creative, so let him do it. And well, then they, <laughs> in his like, mind, you know, it's like he's the one who's been set up to fail. That's right. how he right. feels. Right. Because uh, Cutler, Cutler's going to be fine either way. Like, that's what Cutler does so well, and what makes him such a master tactician in, his, in this office, is no matter what goes down, the negatives will never touch him. Right. He is always thinking to preserve himself and to preserve his vision of the company. He's making dramatic changes, but no one ever takes him to task for it. He has an, a, an almost unquestioned level of power with the exception of Roger. Roger's the only person who I feel is putting up any strong resistance toward him. You know, Pete's sort of in that in that same company, but he's out in L.A. What is he supposed to do about it? Right. And Roger has the stature. Pete doesn't have the stature. At the end of the day, he might have he might have the same level of partnership, but he simply does not have a stature. Well, Roger's right. name's in the Dory Fountain of the company. Absolutely. Right. Exactly. It's, it's, it's different. So uh, what is what is Peggy to do? She leaves Lou's office and she walks back towards hers and she stops at Don's office. I love that she, that, he, that he tells her that he has that she has to tell him. That's to mm-hmm. me that's such a masterful stroke. Well, yeah. it's also just. Just like a, just a coward's way out. Exactly. Oh, well, that's it's beautiful. The whole thing is dumped in her lap. Yeah. It's it sink or swim. Yeah. There's no way for Lou yeah. to lose well, again. And by the way, you tell him. I don't want to deal with this. Guy. Yeah, it's not exactly. my job. To tell him. <laughs> what do you say? You're the boss, honey. Is that what he says something like that? Yeah. You're the yeah. boss, sweetheart. Sweetheart, sweetheart. Which is completely. Like, it's the whole thing. It's like it's, it's, it's almost so like, demeaning. I completely respect you for your work. And even though you're a woman, I'm going to give you a hundred dollar raise. Right now, beat it, sweetheart. Give and me like, some coffee. Not even like he's <laughs> like, like I'm going to pay you. I'm going to pay you fairly. I'm going to pay you. I would have hired you myself, and I'm going to pay you what you deserve to be paid. And 100 a, bucks a week is a lot right. of money that's in a, 1969. That's a giant raise. He, you know, she's accepting it as this very real thing of like, you really are going to pay me what I deserve, even though I'm a woman. That's incredible of you. Yeah, you have a depth to you that I've never expected, Lou. Thank and you. Then the other shoe drops. Right. So, right. she has this moment where she almost knocks on Don's office and she takes a second. She goes back in her so office. Good. She wants him to come to her. Exactly. Yeah. Leave it. Well, yeah. she she has to think about it. Like, how would a boss do it? I'm not going to let him get any power over me. And I'm also not going to let him uh, have a tantrum. I'm going to show him who's in charge right here, right now. Because she's still pissed at him. Right. Well, I also read that as her catching herself. I also mm-hmm. read that as, like, she's her whole career. She's answered to Don. And her whole career, Don, you know, like, so she went in like, okay, let me talk. Wait a minute. No, I'm the boss. Yeah. Like, he can come to me. So she's like, yeah, he can come to me. I, I, I right. sort of read that in her face the whole time. We get into this like, very uncomfortable, uh, this very uncomfortable scene between her, Don, and Mathis, where uh, she sits Don on the couch with Mathis, this, like, oh, little go-getter, yes. you know? like he's, he's, he's so happy. He's just so happy to be well, there. Yeah. Can, can you, you did miss one instance when um, she's like, uh, Peggy, Peggy wants to see you. Like, send yeah. her in. Like, right. No, no, no. You go there. You go there. And he's like, in her office. You know, yes. oh, okay. It's like the moment where he gives Don the hat and coat. Like, you know. Right. <laughs> yeah. Don is not, he doesn't, you know. Yeah, he's like, oh, okay, that's fine. <laughs> oh, all right, I'll sit on the couch with Mathis, right. whatever. <laughs> Woman, I don't know what's going on. And then she <laughs> lets them know uh, that she has control of this account and that she would like 25 taglines <sighs> from each of them. Uh you know, and then the look on Don's it face. Unbelievable. Could kill. Yeah. Right. And then, that and then, then the set. Then, the, well, what, well, what's then? He then he says, he's, he's, you see him swallow the humble pie, and he goes, yeah. okay, well, what's the strategy? She mm-hmm. says, he says, uh, well, you know, who is it? Mathis says to him, uh, yeah. well, we, we do the tags first, and we find the this. Lou, yeah, no, no, she Lou says, likes Peggy it. Says it. Peggy says, Lou, basically saying like this is the way it's done now. Yeah. Lou yeah. likes the tags first, and then we sneak and up on the sneak strategy. Up on the strategy. Right. And then Mathis says, uh, you'll, you'll get used to it. Yeah. And oh, Don, at this point, if he wasn't furious, now he is. Right. Uh, you know, to be to be kicked around like this, to have nothing for three weeks, and now what? I'm just supposed to hand out tags like I'm not some 22. Yeah. You know, off this the is not bus? humble pie. This is a humble seven layer tiered wedding cake that he is forced to eat. <laughs> and not only because he used to be the boss, and he has to now work for his for for Peggy, and not only that, but because and Peggy knows this. This is where I'm so mad. Like this is wrong. This is the wrong way to go about the creative. This is the wrong way to go about. The um, you know, coming up with a campaign for Burger Chef in general. This is not the way Don would do it. It's not the way Peggy would do it. Right. This is the way Lou does it. And so Don is utterly confused. First of all, he's like, if, if they bring him in an account, he's Don Draper. Okay, Burger Chef, we'll, let's go. But no, it's like, you write 25 tags. Like, why are we doing that? Because that's the way we do it now. And even Peggy hates this too, but Peggy's now the boss and is directing him to do this. The whole thing is ass backwards for Don. It's like, right. it's gotta be completely maddening. Yeah. As, as, as a top level creative, as Don Draper, to be reduced to writing 
25 tags? Well, I, here's the thing. As an entry point? It's, 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 a ho- it's a horrible realization from, for him that, you know. It's like, what happened to my office? Right. He's not going to be, he's not going to be the guy. He's never going, he might never be the guy again. And as Bert says later in the episode, you know, you expected there to be this huge it, creative crisis and you were going to come it in doesn't and matter. save the day. I don't give a crap. That's the thing that's that, yeah. that is that is the reality that Don has to has to face and we're all facing it with him because we've all bought we've all essentially bought into Don Draper too. I mean, that's that's the kind of the meta deal here is we have all bought that Don Draper is this great creative genius and mm-hmm. surely the the firm can't get by without him, but that simply isn't so and Bert reminds us in the harshest way possible. You know, you know, it didn't matter that you were gone. We're doing great. We're, yeah. Our billing is through the roof. We're getting new accounts every day. We don't need you. We don't need your way of doing things. Mm-hmm. We don't need... You're old. You're 1964 yeah. standing that's in the, 1969. But that's that's on the back. I mean, you know, that's... I mean, I'm defending Dondra, but that's on the back of the creative, the reputation they've built based on the creative that they've done on mm-hmm. the last eight years. It's not like they just... The reason why they're so prestigious, we want to get all these... They can just do nothing and people want to come to them is because they've built a reputation as a, as a fantastic agency on the back of Don Draper and Peggy Olsen's creative. Right. Let so me ask you a question. For, let, for, me, let me ask you a question. Like, Here, Joe, you. Let's, let's listen to Joe. Here's my question. This is this is 1969, and this is right before the turnkey revolution. It's all happening now. This is when system versus hero. Mm-hmm. This is the uh, you're dealing with, with. This is the time when the idea of a system, Alan McDonald, Subway, anything that's repeatable, Dunkin' Donuts, anybody can do it. Versus the heroic businessman or the heroic creative or the mm-hmm. heroic anything, which so, gets us into the whole Lloyd thing. So this is systems right. that are working without a hero. We don't need a Don Draper anymore. Mm-hmm. We have ten of them, or we have nine of them, or we have a whole system to figure it all out. With yeah. a computer. Yeah. It's, it's an interesting exactly. juxtaposition. I love that, and I love... Uh, here's what I took as kind of the theme of this episode, and it's it's the resist the futility of resisting change and the futility of resisting obsolescence, that things eventually do change and that they do expire and that, you know, the shiny new, shiny new model may be the thing that everyone wants, may be the thing that everyone needs, but also at the same time, maybe not, and maybe there's still some fight in the machine, even if people don't have faith in it. We're going to get into all of that. We're going to break down all of the Lloyd conversations, which I think bear so much on the entire series and especially this season. But first, I'm going to talk about iTunes really quickly. Folks, I say it every week, you know, here at After Buzz TV, we put out between 60 and 70 hours of free content a week. You can't find a deal like that anywhere else on the internet, but we need your help. You know, you enjoy our podcast. We love making them for you. But we need your ratings. We need your reviews on iTunes. It legitimately helps keep the lights on, keep the doors open. It's how we get our sponsors, which is, you know, how we pay for this whole thing. It's how we get sponsors. It's how we get guests. So we deeply appreciate when you go to iTunes, you rate, you review the show. It only takes a second. It doesn't cost you a dime. And it really, really helps us out. And 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 you get a wonderful shout-out. So I'm just going to read a few right here on the air. Intelligent Analysis, five stars from North Arco Corrido. Oh, um, good accent. Nice yeah. pronunciation. Thank there. you. I, <laughs> if I didn't stumble over the word, I'd be proud of myself. Uh, very awesome to listen to this. I started when this podcast was on season six, and I appreciate the host's speculations about the show and the diversity of opinions, interesting insights, and ideas. Great podcast from Penelope Glamour, my favorite. Great hosts by Suzgo. Uh, I really love the commentary. My only complaint um, is, you know, that... Uh, okay. Uh, a must listen thirteen by thirteen twenty eight. It was five stars. It was it was it was it was not worth repeating. Uh, but you know, don't feel like you can't give us fair criticism. Uh, this is a must listen for me after every episode. I get a lot more out of the show than I do in the initial viewing. It adds to the overall enjoyment. Another one out of the park. Five stars from Hey, I Watch Mad Men. Your show does it again with the third episode. Gives us the best overall analysis of Mad Men every week while injecting humor along the way. Keep it up. Timely, upbeat, and insightful. Five stars from Ginger. I love that you guys get your cast out so quickly and on video. I appreciate the variety of the contributors. Thank you so much. Keep up the great work. You rock. Great Mad Men recaps from Big Kahuna Luna. Hey, guys. did anyone? Yeah. Uh, did anyone catch last week that the girl that tried to pick Don up at the bar was Anna Draper's niece, Stephanie? I did not. No. no. Yeah. Um, I'm going to have to watch this again and see if that is, in fact, the case. If that is, that definitely is a very interesting choice to make 
this late in the series. We haven't seen her since season four. Yeah. So I'd be very, very curious if that is, in fact, what went down. Uh, good podcast from Ruth in Oregon. Enjoyable and thoughtful. Uh, she gave four stars. Would give five stars. Uh, but she doesn't like our intro, the AfterBuzz TV intro. Uh-huh. Well, unfortunately, it's going to – it's here to stay. But we appreciate your input. Who's a star for um, that? Yeah, we lost a star for the intro. It's not even about the content of the show. Nothing to do with us. Yeah. An amazing outlet for the TV addict. Five stars from Hickstick. Uh, I love that after every episode I can come into a source with intelligent dialogue about a show I love. Many times I feel like I'm talking to a wall and it is so nice to be able to tune in and leave, listen to the discussion. show gives me smart commentary and helps sustain my curiosity until the next episode. Thanks so much for having this available to loyal fans everywhere. One of the best in round from Mr. Mr. Anthrope. Uh, This is not only one of the best after shows out there, it's one of the best Mad Men podcasts around. It's not often that AfterBuzz is able to put together such a fantastic panel uh, for a great show. Um, You know, this one is manned by a wonderful panel. Uh, We all get name-checked. It's very, very nice. Uh, best Mad Men podcast, five stars from I Love Swag Money. Me too. Well, me three. <laughs> me four. Yes, there are a lot of Mad Men podcasts. It's impossible you? to list them Apparently all not. each week. <laughs> Joe Sanfilippo is not interested in swag money, but he'll take all other forms. Uh, so let me save you some time. This is the best, most insightful, most entertaining of them all. They post their podcast quickly, and they always give a thorough recap. I look forward to it every week. Thank you all so much for your shout-outs. I know those of you who have been waiting for me to finish, it's now done. I'm sorry about the length of it, but we have to appreciate the people who take their time to help out our network, so thank you all. Okay, so we have this computer being installed, and this guy Lloyd, who, it's so weird for me watching him, because the same actor was on Justified last season as this big, burly, like, uh, backyard wrestling kind of a dude. Yeah. And I just couldn't I couldn't accept him as this IBM tech guy. Um, but he does kind of <laughs> have... justified. Right, but he does kind of have that, like, you know, as, as Joe was saying, this idea of the hero, this very classic, like, guy pulling himself up by the bootstraps and making something of himself because, you know, he's so... Uh, he sees an opportunity and he wants to make a change. He sees that uh, they have a great product at IBM, but they're not using it properly. They don't trust it. Right. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, we actually we have a we have a special guest joining us in the studio. Uh, Kevin Undergaro, uh, co-founder of AfterBuzz TV, is here. He's uh, he's putting on his headset. How are you, Kevin? I'm okay. I, want, I need answers on Mad Men. So. Okay, <laughs> literally. Well, we're getting into it. Yeah, okay. we got answers. So uh, you know, we have Don faced with this idea of the computer. You know, uh, it's not often that we kind of stop everything so that a brand new character just kind of gets to wax poetic about about life and about career and about advertising. We have two major, well, three major conversations between the two of them. Well, you know what I, I love? What I, one of the things I liked about Don and Lloyd together is you have two completely different guys because Lloyd has started his own company. Yeah. He's, and, and, and Don... So has Don. And Don, well, Don and he reminds up. us all that's the time. That's true. Yeah. That's true. And, 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 and I, I, it's very interesting to see the two of them sit down, be very comfortable together, mm-hmm. and they obviously have very shared... Uh, they have uh, a very, very... Uh, they've shared values. They have, a, they, have a nice, they have a nice shorthand with each other. It's yeah. a nice and easy conversation. And, and it's fun to watch Don slip into... That thing that he's good at doing that he's not allowed to do anymore. Right. And and he has to shut himself down. I'm not allowed to pursue new business. I cannot do this. Mm-hmm. And this is what he's good at. This is what his instincts lead him to do. And he could really help Lloyd. Mm-hmm. He could really do for Lloyd yeah. what Lloyd can't doesn't probably have the brains or, or, or the understanding of the marketplace to do for himself yet. Although Lloyd was able, was able to see that IBM had a, had a hole in its plan. But he's not able to see what advertising can do for him. I love the question. I mean, I mean, the question to Don Draper of all people: Does, does advertising, advertising work? work? Don's just like, hmm. Well, no, you said. <laughs> hey, you, know, you know, I thought he was very honest. I was going to say it, it seems like it's it's either a foreshadowing for Lloyd. I don't know. IBM was the was the it company, yes, and it evolved into bigger things. So it leads you to believe that Lloyd will ultimately fail. Maybe, and and you know, had he. You know, been open and connected with Don. Maybe we're left with the impression that, you know, he right. could have become bigger than IBM or whatever. But, right. if, you know, because I, I was trying to think. I mean, remember Wang? I was thinking of all the other computer companies sure. that came mm-hmm. up in the seventies. Sure. Um, and of course, Apple, but we know who did Apple, and we, right. I don't think Lloyd is is. Well, I don't. I don't necessarily is, agree with you. He was very open with Don. He's he's just trying to get a grasp of this true. larger world. So what was so? Guess my question was why why when Don turned on him, and I hope I'm not jumping around yeah. in the format. When Don 
was it just because Don was just drunk and fed up, or did Don read something in I him think, that oh, I didn't, or well, we didn't? Let's 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 get into the actual words of it, right? So okay, I've got answers. For so that. Um, good, thank you. Yeah, that's why I'm here. Yeah. So uh, he Don at this point is very drunk. He's had you know a whole bunch of, of vodka in this Coke can, and he uh, he comes right up to Lloyd. He's like, you know, you don't need me. You go by many names. Uh, you don't need a campaign. You've had the best campaign since the dawn of time. You're the devil. Yeah. Well, he's saying you're you're the devil. Uh, you could potentially say that it's God. I think that it's progress or the future or change. I mean, it's it's something that's that's primal. It's the guy who you know sees that the wheel is a big hit, but if you just make it shave it a little thinner, you can make more wheels. You know, for less time, you can make them cheaper. It's it's the guy who's seeing what someone else has done and is undercutting it. To make a profit. It's Burger King versus McDonald's. And in Don's mind, I think, this is him lashing out at the other folks at the company, at SC&P, who are taking this company that he views as his company, the one that he built, it was his idea, and, you know, they're running, they're not running it into the ground, but it's in no way what he intended it to be, and they refuse to give him any credit for it. So, so the idea of Lloyd as a derivative, Lloyd is a small, like he's a small man, he's not a big man. He's, he's essentially saying that IBM has the system that IBM's created. IBM does not give it enough credit. It'll last two years. I'm going to lease it for two years as opposed to IBM's six or eight months, whatever IBM's mm-hmm. going to try and do. And so Lloyd's actually creating nothing. Lloyd's building nothing. All Lloyd is doing is buying and installing and teaching you how to use and making that lease stretch out longer. Yeah. And so from Don's point of view, you're saying that, that, that Lloyd, therefore, is a smaller man, is a derivative. His, his company is a derivative of somebody else's company. Therefore, he represents like the hyenas versus the lions, essentially. Like he's it's one, it's one way to take it. The other way, and I think it connects deeply back to their first conversation where Don is, intim- is asking, you know, are people intimidated by this thing? And Lloyd says, yeah, people are, are frightened by the fact that this thing is infinite, that it can count more stars in a day than a person can in their entire lifetime. Sure. Um, but, you know, isn't that amazing that we have mastered the infinite? He's somebody who is, he's pitching Don the future as this great thing, but ultimately in, in Don is painting him as this, this huckster Who's taking a great American business and turning it into an opportunity for himself? Or I, go ahead, I want to add. No, I, I, I think both things can be true. So I think that everything right. you said is 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 right and a version of that. I think. Look, first of all, I think that Don and in the sober conversation, I think Don was very much interested in what he had to say, and, and Don could very much help him. And, and I still mm-hmm. think he may still help him. I still think Don may still help him. That may be a client for Don. We'll, we'll, that's, I'll, I'll table that. But in terms of what he said when he was drunk about when you go by many names, I think obviously he was, I, in my opinion, is referring to Satan, the devil. Right. That's Call a phrase that. uh, right. you know, associated with the devil. So, yeah. But I think the reason is being for is twofold. Number one, he, he like, like everyone else in the office, you know, Thinks so this guy's representing the, 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 he personifies taking away the creative. Like he literally, he's in their creative space. Like he's, this computer right, is demolishing in their, it. Yeah. Literally the personification right. of like being in their space. So that space is gone, taken over by the computer. This also is a larger metaphor for what Don's going through. Like you said, yeah. he walks into this place that used to be his built on creative that's now run in, in, in a corporate, in a corporate manner. That's run so by a, a machine. Run by a machine essentially with that machine being Cutler and, and Lou. <laughs> but, but I think that for me, both things can be true. Cause I think that Don was lashing out at him and, 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 and sort of letting, um, you know, raging against the machine literally in that moment. And, but I think that ultimately, I think in, in the sober Don, we'll figure out a way to, this is here to stay. How can I work with this guy to use my creative to make this work? That's my prediction. We right, hope. Was, and so, so it's going to say, and, I, and I'll step out of it after this because you guys answered many of my questions. This is my <laughs> big question. And I think there's one third thing that we've been seeing uh, from season one, well, from more from season two and three is. Dawn's disdain for the future and the new sure. generations. And, you know, you even see it in, in production design. Do you notice Dawn is still with the skinny tie? And do you notice when you see, um, God, who's the old guy? I'm sorry. He's Bert. 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 You know, not, no, not Bert. It's Roger. Roger. No, who's who's the Tim, one that uh, pulled Cutler. him? His, his sponsor that pulled him out. Oh, Freddie! Uh, Freddie! You know, you see how <laughs> Freddie looks very '60s still. Yeah, right. the skinny tie. The you know, and and Don, same thing. But then you see Pete, and you see the other people. They're getting more into the late '60s. Sure. It's almost the precursor to the early '70s. Sure. They're getting into that, and Don's still not there yet. And uh, and we see the younger wife, and we see he's 
he's still like that World War II generation. Oh, yeah. You know, well, so, so I think that the future is not something well, that he, it, he wants, counting stars, all that stuff. Well, let's but, take a so. small moment from the show that I think kind of encapsulates what you're talking about and what, what we're talking about in terms of this futility, right? So the, the creative space is being, you know, leveled for this computer, and Ginsburg is furious, and he wants to take this big couch and put it in him and Stan's office. Right. So he asked Don to help him out to carry this couch, which was never going to fit in this office anyway. Right. And uh, he refuses to accept that he can't have what he wants and that, you know, they're just going to lose this couch. They're losing their space and that there's nothing he can do about it. He, he But he still has to try. And I think that that's what Don's doing when he's resisting Peggy's uh, authority in this episode. And he nearly torpedoes his entire career. Well, let, let me ask you guys a question. I, I agree with you on that. But let me ask you a question about about uh, the idea of the machine versus not the machine. And Please. I think this is a big a big part of the episode. See, Lou, the show is kind of set up. Lou is good enough, right? He says to Peggy all the time, stop fighting it. It's sold. It's done. It, you know, it's good enough. And that is what a, a, a machine structure in a corporate place will give you. Good enough. And for advertising, I think most of the time, good enough is good enough. Yeah. It's and it's a, fine. It's efficient. It's consistent. Right? And it's there. And it's not dependent on Don being sober, not sober, waking up next to somebody he doesn't know, not waking up next to somebody he doesn't know, whether or not his home life is a disaster. If you don't rely on one guy to be the hero, you have a consistent, good enough product. And that's kind of where we're at. And that's the computer. That's the machine. That's and it's, the corporate. It's, it's lease tech. It's, right. We don't need a new computer every six months. This is good enough. Yeah. And that's and I think that Don is Don is a home run hitter. He's a brilliant guy, and so I'm going to come in and blow your mind. But I think it's interesting that in the advertising medium, that is it's such a short 13 week cycle. Even today, right? That's that's our, mm-hmm. our cycle today is 13 weeks. I don't know what it was in '69, but your genius, your brilliance is 13 weeks long, and that's it. That's how long the advertising campaign is going to go. And if we take your slogan, we might take it for five, ten, maybe even 20 years. But that's it. That's all you did. So it's this interesting idea, dichotomy to me of like good enough versus brilliance that is short lived, like a little, like a like a little light, like hey, you lit it up and it's gone, mm-hmm. and it's it, it, you know I think that's the one of the dichotomies they're drawing here. Yeah, well, I think it also is deeply reflected in the Roger storyline, where you know we have this guy who has been dabbling in the psychedelic, he's been dabbling in free love, he's someone who is seeing. <laughs> Uh, a therapist without shame. He's trying to make these advancements. Granted, I think he's still in denial about a lot of things. You know, as uh, we we get into his relationship with Margaret and their last interaction, where she tried to forgive him for being a crappy father, and he took it, you know, as this big insult that she was actually trying to come to terms with, you know, how she was raised. And now we have the guy who espouses to be all about the future, realizing that this new way of life, this free way of life, isn't for him. That he is old-fashioned, no matter how he tries to paint himself. I mean, he's rational. I mean, I think that at a certain point, I mean, look, Roger's all for having fun. He's all for uh, free love, to a certain degree. But, I think but not that, when it involves his daughter. Not well, when it involves his daughter, but he's, but he's also... A he's was that? And grandchild. And grandchild. And grandchild, exactly. He's also rational. That was his key point. He's like, all right, this was fun, but you have a you have a son. You have a right, son, right. and he's missing like, his mom. Up. I take that as he was feeling personally responsible for where she's ended up, where his grandson might end up. So like a ripple effect, and he sees that yeah. he behaved that way, and she might behave that way, and he doesn't want his grandson to live that well, Exactly. Life. It's interesting. They, they blame it on Brooke. He and Margot both blame it on Brooke in the beginning. That Brooks. Brooks. That Brooks. Brooks is just, he's such a fool. He's such a weak guy that this yeah. can't this all has to be his fault and so brooks is going to be the man and go over there and he's going to fix it of course brooks does not fix it but brooks is a bum yeah, well maybe he's a bum <laughs> but maybe that maybe that's just a setup for us all a to bum? he's just he a, is is a, bum. a bum he's yes, a he... symptom he's just a he's symptom just, go. and it's the knee jerk of any parent we're going to blame that's this it other yeah. factor but the reality is as we come to at the end of the show it's not brooks's fault i know it's mom and dad's fault ultimately and, right. ultimately right and and if there's a fault to be had i mean so, you know not Admittedly, Brooks is a bum. Okay, he can't even afford. He doesn't even. He can't even afford to start his own business. He needs Roger's money to do it. He can't. You know, he's not communicating not honestly with his with his wife, who apparently, who you know, evidently has needs that he can't really fulfill. It's because he's not multiple right. dudes. It sounds like that's a part right. of the issue. But it's it's not a, it's not necessarily about the the multiple dudes. As I think to her, this idea of this emotional honesty and this freedom, which she's never had in her life, is so attractive yes. that she feels she can't live without it. That's 
That's how, how they get you. In, right. In the Colts. In the Colts. But I want to talk mm. about what Sterling said, which, you know, a lot of you guys agree with, that Roger is is taking ownership yeah. of his role in, you know, failing as a parent. And I think he's dancing around it for most of this episode, but he yes. doesn't accept it until he falls in that well, mud. Let me toss something out here. Yeah. It, it seems to me that Roger's in a position where... He is. He was able to be the half-assed father he was because Margaret was a committed mother. Absolutely, and Mona. 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 I beg your pardon. Yeah. Mona was a committed mom, and 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 that's an interesting thing to consider because you know she's yelling at him as if him going to work or you know or hanging out was somehow going to actually cause her physical harm, but it wasn't. And it and I think it's such an unfair an unfair question. But uh, you know, and uh, it, oh, you talk about. The, the the one that she asked Roger at the yeah, end. Yeah, when when she's yelling at Roger. Yeah, but that's nothing to do. It's not about an unfair question. It's about a perspective and a point of view. I mean, as a child, you want your you want your both your parents around. You want your father around. Right. Where were you? I mean, it's not about. I mean, I, I think that it was very valid for for her to ask that question, and and we see that the reaction of where she is right now based on the life she lived. I'm sure Roger didn't mean any harm. Roger's out there making millions of dollars, being a big time ad guy, and he's doing the best that he can. His wife's at home, being a capable mother. We get it. It's nineteen. It's, it's the fifties and sixties. We get it. Right. However, that. For her, that was horrible. It was she wants deeply, her dad. deeply personal. She wants her dad. Exactly. It sounds petulant, but and it, it sounds petulant, and it would be if we didn't know how Roger conducts himself in his personal life, and the fact that he often stayed at the office, not working, not really doing much of anything, drinking, just, and just carousing, because and he'd rather do that than women. be a father, and then ask his secretary to get a gift for his daughter because he couldn't care less. Let me ask you a question. Well, are you defending Roger Sterling? I love Roger I Sterling. I know you love Roger Sterling. I love Roger Sterling, and it's mostly loving Roger Sterling. Mostly because I love. On, mostly because I love John Slattery. Right. So at this point, right? Okay, I'm, 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 I haven't heard that. I, I, might, I might have a little bit of a, a man crush on John Sorry, <laughs> yeah. if he'd only return my phone call. Uh, so, so here's my point, okay. though. Okay. Yeah, now, it, it's interesting to me that in the same sentence, she's yelling at Roger that he was not that that uh, that that you know that you're how could you uh, you know how could you leave how could you go to work how could mm-hmm. you you know have your secretary blah 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 all these things she's yelling about they, they they sound petulant because they are petulant here is a girl who has abandoned her family and more importantly her son to go and join a hippie commune because she didn't feel good could not in speaking with her father, right? They're having a father-daughter moment. He is shacked up at this ramshackle uh, ranch, barn, yeah. barn, whatever, sleeping in hay next to his daughter, looking at the stars, trying to have an honest moment with her. And they have. They bond. It's beautiful. And not an hour later, a dude comes in. Hey, oh, I can't hear. My dad is here. Right. I've been shacked up here for weeks. I can't take a night off because my dad is here. I got to go banging out with you. That's madness. And then to top it all off... Then she's yelling about how you didn't, you weren't there for me enough. Well, she's walked out on her son, who's four years old. She invited so, him. Uh, she invited Brooks and the son to come stay. Oh yeah, you them. can do it my way or not at all. But I, I, I so, don't, so, so I think I think you're right. I think that. What, but what you what the I think that what they're showing us is that she's just a chip off the old block. Absolutely, right. Absolutely. that's I in the cradle. That's, that's think, what yeah. they're showing us is that she's like the, the that was what the father was like. It's the cats in the cradle. Right. I think the commune is an excuse to sleep around and avoid responsibility, and that's all Roger Sterling has really yes. ever done. Boom. So it's kind of Boom. I love him too. Yeah. But we also no, no, we're not talking right. about the the inherent sexism in his behavior because it's okay when he does it. It's okay when he does it, but a woman has to be there for the well, child. Well, let me, let me say this, and, and that's and that is indicative of uh, biology and his time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, right. I mean that's that's both. And and and, and I, you know, it's, it's interesting that that where he draws the line, and I'm glad you brought it up because where mm-hmm. he draws the line, he's the greatest generation guy. Like, is the sex yep. when mm-hmm. she goes off to have sex with the other guy in the middle of the night? Yeah. I mean, Roger was down for all of it. He's right. down to play the game all down night Down for the long. dynamite grass, everything. I'll do it. I'll smoke dynamite. the grass. I'll, no, and being a, and being a great. I thought a great dad who was I like, thought so too. I'm going to hang in yeah. with yeah. his. And Listen. I'm going to try to understand what my daughter is well, getting from this place. I think it place. was more, I want, I, he knew, like in any negotiation, you have to hang in, you have to see yeah. that person's side, blah, 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 and then get her out of it. Yeah, you know? and I think yeah. that he, he, his line, I think it was done for him. When, when she left with the dude. Oh, well, you and right. I understand that line. We right. both have daughters. Absolutely. So. Like, really? I mean, you're going to disrespect yourself that, that, like this? That's line's drawn. I, I, I'm, Are you I'm saying right here? that if Margaret was Matthew, he wouldn't feel a small twinge of pride in him running off with he some would, chick in the middle of the I don't think anyone's saying that. He might. No, I, I, well, I, I got a question. I mean, like, I, I guess there's, the, there's, if, there's, a, there's, a, there's a, the, the question to me is, 
what, how do we define your responsibilities? Now, it is, it is irresponsible for Roger to go out and boff all these women mm-hmm. and have all, but he's doing that in the context of providing a complete structure for his family other than where he's at. So if his wife has plenty of money, she has plenty of shelter, she has plenty of heat, plenty of anything physical that she needs, there's do no not chance. Like where you're going. Go ahead. Sorry. Well, I'm going to use my question. Sorry, so she, there's no chance that she's going, that the kids or, or, or the wife are going to wind up out in the cold mm-hmm. because of anything Roger's done. On the other hand, what she's chosen to go and live in the hippie commune, she's physically left. There is she's not there. So, so if if, if the if, if what her what is her expectation of pro- providing for her son? What is the expectation of her provision he for his son? First of all, I, I understand your po- I understand your point, and I will. I, I, what? I, it's no, a no. time we're li- I, no, no. I understand your point. I agree with you to a large extent, and and I'm I'm going to make this point. And then, unfortunately, we have to go back to Don because we're running yes. out of time, and I want to finish that up. But the fact is. Uh, he did leave. He left when he and Mona got divorced because he couldn't resist banging Jane. Okay, so he did leave. Second of all, as Mona points out, she doesn't need more money. They right. have plenty of money. Roger will give her give her family money and, and provide for Ellery till the ends of the earth. It has nothing to do with money, ultimately. They've still made the same decision, and I think that he understands that there's something that is very similar between the two of them, but it is not until he tries to haul her away like a child and falls down in the dirt and loses her, that he realizes how responsible his behavior is for her adapting to that nature. Which is a poignant moment when that that moment he realized what she Uh, said. He heard her what he said, and he had he like he had to walk home. Like he had to sort of. It was so sad. It was a very sad, poignant moment at that moment. I just want to say for ten seconds. Okay. Let me get this straight. You're saying that it's okay for your boy uh, Slattery to bed these women and do what he's doing and be responsible as long as he's providing for the family, but not okay for the hippie uh, girl to do it because. Because she's a woman and she hasn't said it all. That's no, that's not what I said. That's not what I said. This is what we do. We <laughs> like to simplify each other's he was arguments. Saying yeah. for the, in the time period, that's what it was thought of: is the man okay. is going to bring yeah. home the bacon and the woman's going to take care of the, the home. But she was that's leaving and not providing at all. She was not. The yeah, difference was, is that he was leaving but providing. She's leaving and not providing. So she's not doing either. So Roger, I'm saying Roger was still fulfilling. Roger was still fulfilling his part of the of the bargain. Obligations. In that time period. I'm understood. Okay. Also sad. Also sad and pathetic is Don's bender, this whiny, petulant bender that he goes on uh, and he calls, he makes his call, you know, saying, like, let's let's go to the Mets game, which, you know, he finds Lane's old Mets pennant. I don't want to miss over it. Uh, underneath the air conditioner from the day that they spent Haunted together. Office. And, you know, he's got this ghost hanging over him. He's and drunk you, on the couch and he's looking at it. Do you touch on the symbolism of the Mets? And uh, they, they... Not, not of the Mets specifically. All right, the Mets at that time, you know, it was the... It, it was Amazing it's still the It's still yeah. the Yankees, right? Uh, they're the number one ticket town. Well, back then, it was even more so. The Mets were really a loser franchise. Mm-hmm. But... What we know is that they become those amazing Mets. It's almost, it's one of the most miraculous seasons in all of baseball. Right. They believe is what, 69? Yeah, yeah. that, that year. year. So that's why, you know, not to get too far ahead, it's like you want, you think the series ends on a note where Don ultimately wins because he's embracing that. That's what I think the four, okay. but, but when Lane was into it, it was when the Mets, like that's who Lane would like. Lane wouldn't like the Yankees. Yes. You know, it's the, Lane would like the Mets, which is the, the redhead stepchild yeah. team. So it's well, very, I, Interesting. It's an interesting symbolism that unfortunately we don't have a we don't have time to talk about. No, we really only it. have yeah. time to talk about uh, the person that he did call was Freddie, and you know Freddie hauls him out of the office, you know, drunk as a sailor. And this whole time I'm like, yes, Freddie, take him to a meeting, take him to a goddamn meeting, and let's get this off the ground. Let's get him off the booze. Let's do it, Freddie. He doesn't do that. He does do the the good friend thing though. Take him home. Put him down on the couch, let him pass out, and make him a pot of coffee, and try to get him to see the error of his ways and realize that he's being a child. They, they were never going to hand his job back to him, and that he has to do the work and fight the good fight if he ever wants to be taken seriously. And thankfully, it takes root in his head. He comes back, and he's going to get Peggy those twenty-five tags by lunch. Thank God for Freddie. Thank God for Freddie. Freddie's a the hero, work, Don. Man. Yeah, yeah. He really he took care of the work, Don. Time. You know. Are you guys rooting for Don? Uh, we talk about this all the time. We are rooting for well, Don. The question, the question is, which Don are we rooting for? Are we rooting for Don to come back and be a sober guy who's going to take care of his family and and and, and win? Or are we rooting for Don to be the old Don and be you know sw- drinking martinis and betting women, Dick McGee, yeah. right. swinging Dick McGee, and making? I mean, well, which, which Don are we rooting let's for? Let's talk about it in predictions. 
Oh. Oh. Well, that was was the transition, ladies and gentlemen. (laughs) For those of you who didn't know. Right. So let's talk about it. We, we, we have this whole concept of resistance to change, of the inevitability of change. Will Don evolve or will he simply fade away? I personally, I am rooting for, you know, the Don that has been existentially curious since the first season, who understands, you know, that he's done bad things in his life. He needs to take ownership of them, you know, that we see glimpses of. We see a glimpse of at the end of this episode. I don't want him to regress. I want him to continue to evolve and accept his position in the grand scheme of life. I agree. I, I love that. I mean, I'm so no one I'm talking about. I love the Mets thing. The Mets thing is, yeah. is spot on because when Lane was a Mets guy, losers. Yeah, absolutely. Now this year, Don is at the at, you know down in his luck, just like the Mets were. We know what happens yeah. to the Mets. We can only assume what's going to happen to Don. I love that parallel. I love his room for the Mets. I think that Don is going to be back in every way, shape, and form. How this ends, I don't know. I don't, I don't think it's going to end all happy, but I do know Don will be back in some capacity, in all capacities, I believe. Yeah. Mets won the World Series in '69, right? Yeah. So that I want Don to do that. Yeah. Yes. I want the first but you know, win. I guess the question will be: What is winning the World Series? Is it him uh, becoming a, just a great dad and now contributing in a small way to advertising or retiring, or is it him become you know putting this agency out of business? That, and that's the question. You know, now, what, 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 what does a win look like for Don? What's, what does happiness yeah. look yeah. like? For Don? See, you're like, well, I'm yeah. telling you like me. Yeah. yeah, but what does happiness look like for Don Draper? That's the big question. Right. Uh, I, I think that last scene is something we didn't chat about, but that last, at the very last scene, the, com- oh, the, the, the heavy construction is done. The mm-hmm. computer is being wheeled in piece by piece, component by component, and it looks clean, it looks fresh, it looks new. Don looks clean and fresh yeah. and new. He is shaved, he is fresh, he's all nice. scrubbed up, yeah. and he sits down at that typewriter and he starts typing out those 25, uh, those 25 tags that he owes. I think that that is a symbol. The, the heavy construction is done. The new is settling in. I think he's going to be just fine. Great. Not, not only that, the song was Carousel. All right. The song was Carousel, which was Don's best, best, most famous speech. His, most, his best moment is Carousel. Oh, his yeah. yeah. His worst moment was typing these 25 tags, but he's on his way back. All Carousel right. round yes. around. Okay, Joe, where can the people find you? Braswell. Uh, my name is Joe Braswell. You can find me on Instagram and Twitter, at Joe K. Braswell on both. You can find me here doing Hannibal and... Little Base Motel. Right. Blacklist. Blacklist. What's this guy? Find Ste- me on Twitter and Instagram at Sterling Cates. All right, Joe. And you can find me on the Twitters at Joe Flippo, J O E F L I P O. My website is josephsanflippo.com. All right, Kevin Undergaro. Just add Undergaro. Thank you guys. And you guys are amazing. On Oxygen, uh, Tuesdays oh. at 10 p.m. on Chasing Maria Menudos. Chasing Maria Menudos, please. All right. Keep tuning in. Fantastic. Yes. And you can find me on Twitter at Matt Lieberman. That's M A T T L I E B E R M A N. You can also find all my videos for AfterBuzz TV, SourceFed, and my personal channel on my personal channel, youtube.com slash Matthew D. Lieberman. I want to thank you all so much for joining us, downloading, watching, listening, streaming. You're all the best. We'll see you next week. From executive producers Maria Menunos, Kevin Undergaro, Phil Svitek, and the entire AfterBuzz TV staff, we would like to thank you for listening to the AfterBuzz TV network. To watch or listen to other After shows and post comments or questions, be sure to visit AfterBuzzTV.com. I'm Sir Richard Wentworth, and this has been a presentation of AfterBuzz TV. Buzz, see you later. The views expressed herein are those of the host only and do not necessarily reflect the views of AfterBuzz TV or its owners or principals.